0: Favorite CJSW program? Looking for a new program? Everything you hear on 90.9 FM can be heard again. Go to cjsw.com, yes, cjsw.com to listen back to all of our programming. CJSW 90.9 FM, broadcasting in Calgary, located on Treaty 7 land, home of the Blackfoot Confederacy, as well as the Sutina. Stony Nakoda, and Métis Nation of Alberta Regions 3.
1: Hello, good morning, and happy Thursday. My name is Marley Gillies. Um, Before we get into it, I'd like to take this opportunity to acknowledge the Treaty 7 region in southern Alberta, which includes the Blackfoot Confederacy, comprised of the Siksika, Pekani, and Kainai First Nations, as well as the Tsutsina First Nation, and the Stony Nakoda, The City of Calgary is also home to Métis Nation of Alberta, Region 3. Hello to all and happy, happy Thursday. My name is Marley and I'm the VP External here at the University of Calgary Students' Union. You probably have heard my voice before. Uh, Same time last week, 11 a.m. on Thursdays, you'll find me here telling you about all things advocacy. And, oh my goodness, it is a very timed, busy time to be in the business of advocacy. Of course, as we know, there's an upcoming municipal election here in Calgary for a new mayor and a new set of city councillors. But now, as you probably have heard, there's an upcoming federal election on September 20th. So, wow, that's a lot. I definitely keep telling my friends and family that I'll see you at the end of October because uh, it's a really busy time to be in the world of politics, to be a voter, to be a student leader and to be a candidate. But don't take it from me because I am so pleased to introduce the current Ward 3 city councillor, but not for too much longer. Jody Gondek is running to be Calgary's next mayor. Jody has an undergraduate degree in sociology and criminology, an MA in organizational sociology that focuses on corporate responsibility, and a PhD in urban sociology. How did I do, Jody? How does that sound? It sounds like a lot. <laughs> it does. It is a really huge honor to have you here, Jody. Thanks so much for being on. Oh, you know what? The privilege is all mine. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, so tell us a little bit about yourself, your professional background, your time on uh, city council, and why you chose to run for mayor. Well, thanks for the opportunity to come
2: on and, you know, share the story. Um, it's pretty interesting that, you know, a kid from Manitoba landed in Calgary in 1997, and here I am running for mayor It's uh, been a very interesting journey, and I always say that Calgary is a place that gave me a chance, took a chance on me, and I feel that way because, you know, I have a social sciences background. Uh, My first professional career was managing policies for women's emergency shelters in Manitoba, Mm -hmm. and when I came to Alberta, I had to parlay all of that into a business career because those were the opportunities that existed. So I worked for Credit Union Central here. I worked for Greyhound. I ran my own business for 12 years. Um so really, you know what, you can do a lot of things in Calgary because it's an open-minded city.
1: Yeah, you really can. And how was your time on council as, you know, Ward 3 City Councillor? What was that experience like and sort of did it bring you here to your candidacy as mayor? Well, it's kind of cool.
2: I was um, in Haskane back in late 2016, thinking to myself, I've spent 10 years learning about municipal politics. Mm-hmm. I volunteered on different campaigns. I had served for four years as a Calgary Planning Commissioner, been on a lot of committees, accidentally learning this whole concept of city building. Right. And I thought, why don't I get a seat at the table instead mm-hmm. of trying to influence from the outside? And it's been a pleasure for four years to serve North Central Calgary communities. Very excited about continuing on that path if I'm successful.
1: For sure. Yeah as a student leader, it's been a real pleasure working with you. And it, my experience with city council and city councillors has just been so positive because I feel like we can do real work. Things actually get done. Um, and so having productive meetings, whether it's about the U-Pass or transit um, for students has just been a really positive experience during this whole COVID world. Um, and navigating that as a student leader, it's been so helpful to have you and your colleagues on city council as a contact. Well, I really appreciate the kind of questions you're asking. And Mm -hmm. then it
2: becomes our responsibility to unpack those further. I mean, I think one of our, you might agree, one of our pivotal moments was when we all realized that students had never been engaged in the conversation around the Mm U-PASS, which is wild. And so you were able to have those conversations with people from Calgary Transit. Um, a few months ago, and yes. I'm glad we made that happen. Thank you for pushing us.
1: Thank you for helping make us uh, helping that happen. For context, for those who are listening, um, the U Pass is a transit program for students. Um, it's for students, and us as student leaders, we realize that. We've never been consulted with by Calgary Transit on a program that was designed for us as students. So um, there's a lot of feedback and some questions about the U-PASS and if it's a program that's actually benefiting students. Um, But to answer those questions, you know, we wanted to be at the table that had those conversations. So working with city councillors and working with the Transit and Transportation Committee, We got that opportunity for the first time and we hope to now see it continue because it's a really valuable experience to have that student voice at the table, especially when it's a program specifically designed for students.
2: Yeah, and we tend to do that a lot. Um, Mm -hmm. We will talk about youth and we will talk about how to engage youth and what do youth need, but we never actually speak with you. We kind of talk at you.
1: (laughs) And so, you know, keep us, uh, keep holding us accountable and make us engage with you properly. Oh, absolutely. And that's our plan. Um, But before we get too deep into transit, I wanted to talk to you about Vote Anywhere. And I know we've talked about this most of the morning already, but it is... Such an important um, issue for students right now. Um, you know, why should they care about municipal politics if they don't even have an opportunity to vote? So for context, again, for listeners, Vote Anywhere is a program on post-secondary campuses where students can vote regardless of what ward they come from. So it's the difference between students not being able to access the polls and actually having an opportunity on their campus where they spend the most of their day um, to go with their friends and vote in between classes. But it also is an opportunity for professors, faculty members, and all post-secondary staff and community to vote. Um, Elections Calgary has made the decision not to have these polling stations, and it's... It's really concerning to see. So what's sort of your take on it, Jody? And what do you think the impact will be to the student voice if we don't have that opportunity?
2: Um, I remember being a student back in the day. I remember coming back here as a mature student. I remember working here. And you know what? Your life is concentrated in this building. And Mm -hmm. I think it's incredibly important to make sure that, um, you know, if there's a group of voters that's traditionally underrepresented. And we tend to say that about students and youth then what can you do to make sure you have better representation? You offer them more voting opportunities. And I think the technicalities behind why we're resisting Vote Anywhere um, can be overcome. I know Mm -hmm. that one of the biggest concerns is if you have a Vote Anywhere station, you need to be able to accommodate all of the candidates plus scrutineers. Do we have enough space? I would argue that you have tons of space at (laughs) see, And so, you know,
1: we need to work around the Mm -hmm. issues and really make sure that we can get more people to the polls. Yeah, I think... Us as a student association absolutely want to help work around those issues it's totally worth it um as a candidate you know what do you think you can do or as a current sitting city councillor what does that look like i know there's some restrictions and obviously you're not able to influence but what does sort of your voice mean in this situation You know what? Asking questions is always the key
2: to getting answers and making some positive change happen. And if we're all asking respectful questions and trying to get to the bottom of how we can do this, we need to be solutions oriented. And Mm -hmm. I think we'll get there. Um, As a sitting councillor, I cannot direct or influence the returning officer. Mm -hmm. That needs to be an independent party that is running Elections Calgary. And I totally understand why that's the case. Of course. But I can, as a candidate and as a councillor, ask for... For a better process that allows the outcome we're looking for, which is the ability for students to vote where Mm -hmm. they spend all of their time.
1: For sure, yeah. And aside from Vote Anywhere, how is your campaign or your candidacy sort of empowering the student voice and eventually the student vote?
2: you know, it's been interesting for the first six months or so of this year, there was not a lot of opportunity to do things Mm -hmm. face-to-face. Like, we couldn't be in the same studio together and so my campaign really ratcheted up the idea of doing everything virtually Mm -hmm. and so we had all kinds of Zoom meetings and Microsoft team meetings with all kinds of groups, including youth, and it's not just um, post-secondary students we've been engaging with. We've been talking to 15- to Mm. 18-year-olds who are looking for a future in this city and they're really active and they're asking so many great questions and I think you know if if we're talking to people that are between 15 and 25 and finding out what kind of a city they want and not just jobs but what do you want that will keep you here? What yeah. makes your life complete? Then we can provide you with that city so I'm always interested in engaging and learning from yeah. what it is you're
1: looking for. No, that's really good to hear and I, sometimes as a student it feels like whether it's the provincial government or federal government or municipal government that it almost sometimes is an environment of like trying to push us out you know like tuition is going up institutional budgets are being cut it's employment opportunities are not going up in the same way so it's it's a really hard time to be a student and as a student leader seeing you know students choose to not continue their education or to pursue their education elsewhere has been heartbreaking. And so hearing, you know, municipal candidates talk about opportunities in Calgary and how to keep the youth here is so valuable and contributes to what it means to be a student right now.
2: Well, and, you know, I think the interesting thing for me is that my career has taken a lot of different directions. And the one that I had before I became a counselor Mm -hmm. was at the Westman Center at Haskane. Mm -hmm. So I had the amazing experience of working with students and faculty and members of the professional sector to create a BCom and MBA degree in real estate. Right. And so I have been around students (laughs) for a long time. And I know that if you listen to them, you'll always create better outcomes. So I've been blessed. To have engaged with students in the past
1: and i continue to do that now yeah and i'm not biased at all but uh, having students at the table for any conversation is just so valuable i mean i'm don't consider myself the expert but speaking to students helps you know in arm me with the knowledge that I need to, participate in conversations about the U-PASS and and see what students are actually looking for. And none of that happens unless you're actually talking to students.
2: Well, and on a purely selfish level, if I may, um, because I've worked with students over time and I understand um, the potential that young people hold, Mm -hmm. I've been able to hire three folks in my office Um, that come with the experience of being at U of C and Mm. very well-trained to do the job they do in my office. So um, get to know your students,
1: people. Yeah, Yeah, definitely. And sort of on that note, I guess, what do you think matters most to students right now and why?
2: Um, It's not a matter of what I think, it's what I'm hearing. Mm. Um, So there's a lot of students that are very concerned about tuition increases. And if I was your traditional candidate, I would say, well, that's not my jurisdiction. And it's not, but I certainly have the ability to advocate with you and for you. I think at a time when we are trying to revitalize our city and create new job sectors and really revitalize the economy, the worst thing we could be doing is disinvesting Mm. in education. This is when we should be ramping up educational opportunities for Mm -hmm. students so you can go into streams of work that are going to be diverse and really yeah. demonstrate to the world that we are ready to go into a transition economy. Cutting educational funding is ridiculous at this point in time.
1: Yeah, and I'm just smiling to hear you say that because it's exactly what we've been saying as student leaders, is that this is the time to invest in education, keep young people here, um, because at the end of the day, that's exactly what you know we're looking for. Um, so tuition's going up, students are returning to campus in this COVID-19 world, what would you say to students right now, you know, that are joining us for the first time in September? This is probably the first election that they're eligible to vote in, and there's a lot of noise. Um, what What would you tell them? Uh, wow. Students that are starting post-secondary for the first time right now
2: are in a very strange and weird kind of environment, mm-hmm. um, you know. Uh, When we started post-secondary back in the day, it was an opportunity to be on a campus with a bunch of people and just experience the world in a different way. And the world that students will walk into is one that's very trepidatious. You know, um, we don't know if we're coming out of the pandemic quickly or if it's going to take more time. We don't know what the restrictions are going to be. And you know what? In-class learning is so important. And some of it is is shifting to online. So um, it's a very strange place right now. But I, I would say keep the faith. You know what? There are many of us in positions of advocacy that are rooting for you to get us out of this pandemic so you can have a sense of normalcy and Mm -hmm. engaging with others as you pursue your education. So, you know, hang in there. Um, we will do what we can to make sure you have the mental health supports, the learning supports, the social supports.
1: We believe in you. We just need to support you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's, it's encouraging to see at this side of the table that students are really engaged. They're, they're reaching out to their student leaders and looking for ways that they can be involved on campus, whether that's virtually or in September. Um, and so on that note, you know, we want students to have their say. Um, so if you, we got a question from Instagram for you, Joti. So if you're a student or, you know, student listening, um, you can submit your questions to the suuc page on instagram but the question that we got was as mayor how would you advocate for better transit wow uh you know what i would keep
2: doing what i've been doing for four (laughs) years i remember when i was a brand new counselor in 2017 one of the budget cuts that was coming uh was to transit And I remember saying, this this can't happen. We need to serve our city and transit is absolutely, it's it's a basic right of the citizens that live here. And at that time, what we did is looked at the routes that were underperforming and managed to maximize uh, Mm -hmm. ridership on other routes without cutting the budget. So there's all kinds of ways you can maintain service, but you have to look at where the ridership demand is, and really ensure that you're delivering the right type of service. So Mm -hmm. over my time on council, we've introduced um, uh, transit on demand Mm -hmm. up in my neighbourhoods so that developing communities have a little bit of opportunity to access transit. And the best thing about that is we will now plan a route that's based on ridership. Mm -hmm. We increased existing routes with a number of stops as communities are growing. And, you know, I'm absolutely committed to making sure that we are doing what every other strong city yeah. globally is doing, invest in public transit.
1: Yeah. And I guess on that, too, is the green line and, you know, seeing this project go through and how it's going to support post-secondary students um, in all of their transit needs. Do you support the project? I know you were a part of, you know, the council looking at it and um, working on it. Where are you out on it as of now? I would say in June of 2020 was really the pivotal moment
2: where we were trying to determine who on council would support the project as Mm -hmm. proposed and who was wavering. And we had a Green Line committee meeting that kind of went a little bit sideways with members of council saying well, we don't really need to build the bridge over the river. You know, the north doesn't really need the train. Let's just go all the way south. (laughs) There were some wild ideas being bandied (laughs) about. And so I made it my business to take my colleagues up to north central Calgary Mm. and show them this is where transit is desperately needed. This is not even on your radar right now. If you don't build that bridge, there's no hope for these communities that have been waiting for so long. Mm -hmm. And uh, it worked we came out um to our council meeting in june with 17 recommendations uh built in tandem with um people who cared on council and administration that really made the project rock solid uh it mitigated risk and it ensured that the future of stage 2 is well in place and my favorite thing is we finally finally after decades created a uh, dollar stream for a functional plan for north central calgary to evolve to bus rapid transit and then lrt so um, that project was a great indication of how council can collaborate when you actually take your colleagues
1: out a 14 to 1 victory was huge (laughs) for sure yeah and i know students were following that closely and are excited to see you know what what actually is going to happen uh for the project and what it means uh, for students but You mentioned council and working with council, and I know you have experience on the city councilor side of things. But as a potentially new mayor and having a majority of brand new councillors, what sort of leadership style would you or do you practice to promote that sort of cohesive and productive council that you talk about?
2: Really good question. And I would say the biggest thing you have to do is make sure that everyone is um, a human being. It is easy to dehumanize others, to um, practice ideological debate, and that's where everything falls apart. So I have made it my business to get to know my colleagues over the last four years. Um, We are actually a group that takes care of each other. We've had a lot of serious incidents, um, you know, personal incidents on council Mm -hmm. with family members, and uh, we have taken good care of each other. So my goal on October 19th would be to pick up the phone to the 14 other winners and say, I'm very interested in working with you. Tell me what drives you to do this work and how can I best help you achieve your goals And I think the other exciting opportunity is we will have an executive committee of council which allows the mayor to work with, you know, five or six committed members of council to pull projects in the same direction and build solid relationships with other orders of government. I'm Mm. quite looking forward to that collaboration.
1: Yeah, for sure. No, that all sounds great. And sort of from your experience as a city councillor, is there a moment or an experience that you had that sort of shaped the way you would potentially lead council as mayor?
2: I would say that early on in my career when I was doing policy work um, with women's shelters, it hit me very quickly and had a lasting impact that when you are given a position of leadership and you are serving people in positions of vulnerability... You have to practice humility and compassion to lead well. You have to help others up and then you have to walk with them towards a common objective. And we have done that so many times on council. When we banned conversion therapy, Mm. we sent a message that we are an inclusive city that does not tolerate things like that. And I just believe that by listening to others and working together, we'll accomplish many, many great things.
1: For sure. And and on that note, I, I wanted to ask you about, you know, empowering female leadership because you know in my portfolio as you know female in the student leader life I see it and live it every day um you know it's mostly men here in this world of politics and it's not always easy to be the female voice in the room but you know here we both are so I guess what does that mean to you um to champion women and girls into this sort of these sort of positions it means everything
2: to me. Mm. It means everything to me to champion women in leadership positions. If there's one thing we need to do, it's normalize the idea yeah. of women in positions of decision making. And I believe that if we provide women with the ancillary supports they need, like child care, yeah. like period products in mm-hmm. the bathroom and the ability to talk about things that impact women on the job, yeah. we can get a lot further. We need to stop asking women to put away their feminine side (laughs) and their responsibilities that they carry outside of professional positions. Mm -hmm. We instead need to embrace the multifaceted perspective they bring to any role they take on. And we need to learn from their experiences because if you build a city that's accessible to women and the people they care for, that city becomes accessible to everyone. Yeah, and that's an amazing thing.
1: Yeah, and what do you think is sort of missing most, you know, with your time on council and being a mayoral candidate and one of the few female mayoral candidates? What is what is missing and what do we need to do? I think um, one of the things that
2: is a highlight for me on my campaign, I believe it's about 80% of my volunteers are women. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, they're giving their time. to help you get elected. And I think we forget that. Campaigns are fueled by women. Mm -hmm. And yet there's very few women in leadership positions on campaigns. They are generally not the strategist. They are generally not the pollsters. They are generally not in charge of fundraising. And that's because we've created sort of this patriarchal system of politics. And I think that bravado and that chest-thumping that you see when people go into debates and, you know, when uh, they deliver their victory speeches... I think we've grown a little weary of that, especially with COVID. We're looking for a leader that demonstrates a little bit of understanding of what we've been through. Absolutely. So I think the game's changed and we need to embrace this moment in time to really talk about different styles of leadership that are equally effective and probably more progressive.
1: Yeah. And what do you think the takeaway is for students who are learning in this sort of environment and, you know, they're, they're, gathering all the information and making their decisions in this way um, what does it mean for female students who are growing up with this and, and looking forward to a future that hopefully includes everything you're talking about? I would say all students
2: because you know um, we, we talk about women and we talk about female students but there's other groups that are marginalized as well mm-hmm. and you know we we are in a society now where we're understanding that gender is such a fluid concept and I would encourage all all students, regardless of the position you're in, whether it's a position of privilege or you're, you're feeling that you're underrepresented, take some time to think about your own values and take mm-hmm. some time to think about what Calgary needs to look like for you into the future and for all the people that you care about. And then go and do some research on the candidates and find out if they reflect your values. And whether they do or they do not, ask them questions. Yeah. We are all supposed to be engaging with you and if we're not engaging with you that should be your first indicator of
1: what life's going to be like with that leader so come and talk to us (laughs) and i appreciate you saying that and one of the things i've asked the other candidates on the show as well is how do you make your way through all that noise you know there's lots of people coming to you now, and you probably have lots of practice at it as a city councillor, but, you know, you're making decisions and you're representing the people that you can, but, you know, you're not going to please everybody. There's always going to be different groups trying to uh, get at your ears and and make themselves heard. So how do you work through all of that?
2: Well, it's important to listen to people, Mm -hmm. and you can't make up your mind too quickly on things. And if you let people be heard, even if you don't agree with them in the end... If people feel respected, they feel they feel that they've been seen and heard, that is half the battle. And I think, you know, um, for the negativity that comes at you, yeah, I'm not going to give the old adage of, you know, you need a thicker skin and you need to be tougher. In fact, you don't. If you develop a thicker skin and things just bounce off of you, you don't feel them. Right. You need to feel things to mm-hmm. be a leader that actually understands what people care about and what it is that's polarizing us. So... Um, It sucks. It sucks to get those negative messages. And, you know, social media can be a terrible place, but you've got to get through it. And you need a strong social support network around you. That's the one thing that I would tell folks. You know, if you're going to run or if you're going to be part of a campaign team... Mm -hmm. Make sure you've got a solid group around you <laughs> that'll keep you up because there are down days.
1: Yeah, for sure. As a student leader, like it's it's half of the battle, but still those those campaign days can be brutal. And even in the position, it's it's hard to, to work through all of that noise and the, the, that competition between the people that you're trying to rep- represent for sure. Absolutely. But you know what? That's that's the cost of leadership. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. One of the other things that students are listening to and they're asking about is development in downtown and what that means for opportunities for students, how to keep, you know, young, talented, educated students in the city, whether that's, you know, the event center conversation or just downtown development in general and keeping it from being a ghost town. What does that in your uh, candidacy as mayor mean to you and what sort of uh, ideas do you have for it? I think it's important to make
2: sure that we've got a strong vision of what a downtown could and should be. And so if you think about the times when our downtown was thriving, right? You had your tickets to your show yeah. in your hand. You were waiting for the light to turn green and you ran across the street to get to wherever <laughs> you were going. You could see everybody in their costumes running over to Odafest, you know, things like that. Mm-hmm. That's, that's vibrancy. And it's not just the events, but it's the ability to live downtown. If you go to successful cities who have revitalized their downtown core, those are places where people Work and live. It's places where people can uh, get childcare. It's places where people can get all the types of services they need. You have parks, you have recreational facilities, and we did a terrible job of that in the early years in Calgary. We fell into the North American myth of dividing land uses. And so we separated work from Mm. play and where we live. And now we need to bring that all back together because that's what will drive our success. And I think the $200 million initial investment we've made into our downtown strategy that focuses on arts commons and also incentives for converting some of our spaces to residential. It's an excellent start, but we need to stay committed to it. And ultimately, the focus is on the people. What do people want from their downtown? Let's stop talking about the empty spaces and start talking about the people that we need to fill them.
1: Yeah, for sure. And I think that's exactly what students are looking for is where they can pinpoint their opportunities are going to be. And of course, a lot of that is in downtown, but a lot of it starts in their communities. And one of the things that we worked on this year as student leaders or um, at least monitored and was a part of the process was the Guidebook for Greater Communities and sort of how that shapes the communities that students live in or their families live in and what to expect for for them in the future. So, you know, where do you stand on the Guidebook and what does it mean to look at these communities and figure out what their futures look like? The Guidebook for
2: Great Communities... Um should have been a well-celebrated tool. Mm. And instead, we somehow um, created a polarizing effect out of it. And I'm going to take some ownership of the fact that we underestimated the desire of Calgarians to be involved in understanding that project. And if I could go back, what I would do is better communicate to Calgarians who were not going to be initially impacted by that guidebook on what it meant to them. And I think we fell into the trap of, you know, we talk about land use change and zoning and bylaw all day long as council members and administration. And we forget sometimes that we need to change that language and make it friendlier for the public. And so I think the guidebook is incredibly well-intentioned and it should have always been a best practices tool for Mm -hmm. administration to allow admin to sit down with members of the community, like you said. To figure out what happens as your community ages. What do you need moving into the future? How can people age in place? How can new people live there? And that's a best practices guide. We tried to turn it into a statutory document, we stumbled and fumbled a little Mm -hmm. bit with that one but i think the end goal of building great local area plans is going to be something that calgarians will benefit from
1: yeah i remember attending that city council meeting and, and speaking on the guidebook sort of on the student side of it and the student perspective of it and and same thing yeah being confused as to where the conversation went and how it got so deterred from the original intentions and and what you know was the purpose of it what do you think is next whether you know for the guidebook or just for communities in general um, and where that's going to take us into you know, your potential term in the next four years. I think the exciting thing that will come
2: out of using the guidebook as a best practices tool is to look at the local area plans that result and to be able to understand how members of the community demonstrate to us what's working for them and what's not. Mm-hmm. Where do they need you know, a small grocery store? Where do they need more park spaces? How could transit be improved for them? And really demonstrate how a community looks on the ground right now can evolve into something that's more inclusive and a place where lots of people who currently don't have access to it could live. So that's what I'm excited about. I mean, when I moved to Calgary, um, we could afford to live in the neighborhood we bought into and it was far flung from where I worked and we had to have a 45-minute commute every day to be able to afford our home. Mm -hmm. I think we have shift understanding of home ownership and rental and, you know, what it looks like to be someone that has a roof over their head and not prioritize ownership all of the time. I think we have also understood that people don't wish to have a car sometimes and we need to have
1: better public transit networks. So we're evolving and our communities need to evolve with us. Definitely, yeah. And I know we're coming up on our time, but one thing I really wanted to ask you and to sort of close the show is You know, students are coming into September. uh, We're having two cohorts of brand new students joining us, whether they're in first year or second year. Um, Coming back to in-person life, there's a lot of noise. Now we have a federal election to compete with. And, you know, in a municipal election with a mayoral ballot of 20-plus candidates, you know, a handful of plebiscites and referendum. And then on top of that, the federal election... Oh my goodness, like even as a poli student, like I am confused and it is a lot to get through. So what's your advice or your message to students to cut through the noise, um, to vote, to feel like they can participate and what does that mean for them coming into the fall semester? I would say that
2: students should access the work that the Students' Union is doing mm. and to make sure that they're aware of how their student leaders are representing them. Um, you can cut through a lot of the noise <laughs> by going straight to the leadership team to figure out what it is that they've heard for sure. and how they're advocating for you. So that's, that's I think, a really good resource. Um, the other thing I will say is I'm going to put a plug in for Paul Ferry. He's uh, pretty amazing. Um, He's Polly sci on uh, Twitter, Okay, and he puts out a lot of information that's easy to understand, easy to take up. The guy is amazing at engaging with people, so if you're ever curious about what different orders of government do and how Mm -hmm. elections impact you, give him a follow. He's great and
1: uh, easily tolerable. Yeah, good to hear. I know that's uh, one of our biggest challenges as student leaders is to actually just getting the knowledge to students in the first place. And that will be our whole sort of challenge this fall. Um, But, you know, a takeaway message from you as a mayoral candidate. What would you like to say to students, you know, as they're starting to think about all this and head to the polls in October?
2: I would hope that students understand that they're shaping our future right now, and they have been for the last few years. Um, you need to help us get over our nostalgia for the past, <laughs> and you need to band with us to say we are in the midst of a transitional economy. We can be a city that owns its place on the global stage by saying we are the center of excellence for a transitioning economy that's more sustainable, it's cleaner, it's more progressive, and it looks at how we can help people live more inclusive and better lives. I would like students who are going to school here to stay here Mm -hmm. to help us achieve that goal. It's an amazing vision. It's not hard to accomplish if we just stick to it. Mm -hmm. So, you know what? Make sure you vote so we get the city we want.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I would second that message and, you know, know that your students union is working to make sure you can vote on your campus or at least be armed with the knowledge of how and where to vote um, as we get closer to October. But a huge thank you again, Jody, for being on with me. It was a pleasure to chat with you about all things that matters to students and uh, we'll definitely be in touch. But I'm excited to watch your campaign from here and wish you all the best. Thanks, Marley. It was great to be back on campus. Thanks for inviting me and have a great day. Absolutely. You as well.
3: in it too. Let's talk about the buzz and the pace Cause money doesn't grow on trees
1: Welcome back. My name is Marley. If you missed it just now, I had Jody Gondek, uh, mayoral candidate, on the show with me to talk about her candidacy and how it matters to students and why it matters to students and I was laughing with Mike off air because now he has to follow Jody Gondek
0: <laughs> Yeah, that's not gonna be an easy time. Uh, she was fantastic. So I do my if, best.
1: Yeah, if you missed that interview or you want to go back and hear some of the other ones I've interviewed, Zane Novak, Jeff Davison, and I've got some other front runners coming up, Brad Field and Jeremy Farkas as well. So if you want to go back and listen to those episodes, you can access them all online at the CJSW website on the under the SU Weekly tab. Um, So that's where all of the shows will be. So you can go back and hear from the candidates and hear what they had to say. Um, But now for a little something different, you probably have seen it all over the news, um, but the University of Calgary has made um, their decision about what the fall return to campus is going to look like. We had uh, some issues before hearing from the university or rather not hearing from the university about what it would look like and students had lots of questions, lots of concerns, Um, but now we are pleased to see that the university is taking action to keep students, faculty, staff and all of the campus community safe this fall. Over the summer, the SU... vice presidents and presidents have been meeting with university administration to advocate for a safe return to campus so this includes things like masking testing uh, places to get vaccinated on campus all in efforts to help keep students and the community safe and we hadn't really heard anything until now um, but now we have Uh, information that there will be masks required vaccines will be encouraged and if not there will be rapid testing on campus for those um but still a lot of unanswered questions about residents um what the details of that looks like and how people will know but students can at least come to campus feeling safe um, and knowing that the su is trying to find the answers to those questions but um what what does it look like on our side of things mike
0: well, you know, I, I think that this is great what they've done. I mean, mandatory masking if students are going to be returning to a 300-person class, that just makes sense. Um, I don't think mandatory vaccination was ever going to be a thing, but at least doing the rapid testing, if people don't want to disclose that status or um, or haven't been vaccinated, that's good. But it needs to be more than an honor system. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that, you know... It, It's too easy to to get around something like that if you just have to tick a box online and say, yeah, I've had my two doses. Uh, So I think we need to hear a little bit more from the university about uh, some of those details. And I I just wish they had done this sooner. Um, I mean, students already have their classes pretty much set in stone. um, And now they might have to make some changes based on these rules. Or maybe they registered for a bunch of online classes thinking there weren't going to be those measures in place. Uh, and now they wanna, they wanna be in person because they're gonna feel a little bit safer on campus. So I think this is stuff that should have been done sooner. We've been in a pandemic for 18 months and yeah. we, knew, we knew we'd knew we be back on campus eventually. So why is this coming out two or three weeks before classes start?
1: Yeah, I was just going to say that is that we always knew that there was going to be this sort of return to campus with COVID. Um, that was always sort of expected. Um, and we want people to return and to resume online or in-person classes and sort of that in-person life. Um, but to do so safely, I think, is really key and is what students are looking for. The last minute, like, deal of all of this is just adding so much stress and anxiety onto students on top of all the stress and anxiety that they already have. I mean, the as we get closer to September, that anxiety always builds up every single year. But now it's heightened because of all these unanswered questions, the last minute decisions, and now, you know, not knowing if their class is in person or online is just really something that students shouldn't have to deal with right now the transition is going to be hard enough um so it's it's really concerning to see all of that happen and unfold on students but uh you know we hope to find those answers and to figure out what support looks like going into the fall semester but it's it's going to be really tough
0: yeah and you know uh, students are going to need accommodations in in the fall semester there's going to be the need for more flexibility mm-hmm. um, and I don't think the university's really offered students that flexibility no, I don't think so. they they've offered professors the ability to move in-person classes online which they did less than a week before they announced all these new measures yeah. that seems to be a backwards way to do it to me why wouldn't you bring in these measures first and then maybe offer that flexibility if you need yeah. to that way everyone knows the rule rules of the game um, the way that they've done it means that some professors might, again, feel safer being in person, doing in-person classes, uh, but it might be too late for them. They might have already moved their class online, which is also not great for students who may now be bouncing between in-person and online classes on the same day.
1: Yeah, I I don't even really know how that's going to work. You know, students are looking at their schedule and it's like in-person, online, in-person, online like by the hour Um, and where they're going to be doing that online class if they're going to have a safe quiet study place I mean even in regular times it was hard to find a quiet working space where you could take a class or take an online exam or participate in an online class it's just that mixing this these two worlds will be really really hard for students I think
0: I I think you're right. And I mean, those are things we're still advocating for. You and and the rest of the executives at the SU are still looking for where can students go for a quiet study space or where can they go if they have a class they have to participate in um, and not be disrupted by by loud space or loud people around. And how are they not going to disrupt other people if they have to participate in the class? And those are simple things, but they're, they're questions we still have here two weeks from classes starting.
1: Yeah, I guess, well, I was just going to say, because we we knew the sort of blend was about 80-20%, so 80% in-person, 20% online. But now that professors have had the opportunity to switch, we don't really have any idea where that's at now, do we?
0: No not really. I mean I I think the deadline for professors to switch is tomorrow so we'll get some more information hopefully next week about that. Um, But this has really thrown students for a loop. Like if they wanted to be all in person they would have set their schedule up that way and now they've got to figure out where they can take a class that's suddenly online. Mm -hmm. Um, So there's just a a lack of of organization or thoughtfulness or forward planning maybe here despite the measures being positive and they will keep students safe it's also going to cause some more anxiety and stress.
1: For sure. And one of the other big question marks that I still have is residents. You know, we heard the other day that this is a record number of students and residents, like the most we've ever seen. That and a COVID year, there's so many questions. You know, the first year rooms have students living in them, you know, do you have a vaccinated student and an unvaccinated student in the same room? How do you really even make that separation or require that separation It is really, really tough.
0: Yeah, I mean residence is, is going to be an interesting one because you're absolutely right, Marley, that if if I'm a student and I'm vaccinated and I'm put with an unvaccinated yeah. student, I mean, I, I'm going to feel a little unsafe yeah. and that's the place where I'm living. Yeah, um, No student should feel should yeah. feel unsafe in in their own home, um, and, and so I, I hope that that's something that the university is going to mitigate. But it's details like these that we still lack uh, from the plan that was announced on Tuesday.
1: Definitely, and there's just there's so many levels. You know, there's the shared washrooms and the shared kitchen, and like you said, like that's their living space. And so I think you know uh, us as the students union want to be on top of that and meet with the people who are making those decisions. But it also is you know their responsibility to communicate those decisions and having you know an announcement like this i feel like those plans should have been discussed or you know at least on page three or four of those of that announcement so that students who are moving in the next couple of days really to campus um feel safe and feel like they want to come and be here
0: yeah i mean that that's what it boils down to is safety um everyone who comes on campus whether you're a student a professor uh staff member everyone should feel safe coming here masks help get us there vaccination high rate of vaccination helps us helps get us there um but people need to know the details we can't have mm-hmm. these big broad um policy initiatives or or health measures yeah, without ironing out all the details yep. underneath it and answering questions and i know it's early days like this came out tuesday it's Thursday now. Mm-hmm. Um, But because they released all of this so late,
1: now students are up
0: against it. They kind of, the university's made their own bed here, and now they've got to sort out these details very quickly.
1: Yeah, I was going to say, it's like early days of the announcement, but very late days in terms of getting this information in the first place. I mean, we're thankful for the... Measures and for the university taking a stand in implementing these measures to keep students and the community safe. But, you know, we're really looking for those details as quickly as possible and continue to advocate for the safety and the mental health of students as the pandemic lingers, but we all return to campus. So if you're a student or if you know a student who's coming back to campus, regardless of what campus it is, we'd love to hear your thoughts, um, you know, where you're at, what concerns you still have, what questions you still have. You can reach out to the SUUC page or to myself directly um, because we're really looking for students who are, you know, preparing for their return to campus in the next couple of weeks here. And uh, what they're looking for to feel safe, to attend their classes, to live in residence and to participate uh, at a campus that, um, you know, is living with COVID but trying to keep it as safe as possible. But I think that's really the goal. Mm-hmm.
0: And, you know, I think by and large, when when we go out and talk to students as the SU, we hear that they want to be back in class. Yeah. That, that's the majority. Uh, everyone wants to get back to that university experience we all sort of expected to have. Um, but everyone wants to do it safely. And mm-hmm. and that's all we're asking for here is um, give us the details so that we can help put student fears and anxieties to rest. Yeah. And I think it's as simple as that.
1: Yeah, and it's it's just going to be interesting to see how September goes regardless, but it's it's definitely easier to start with tighter health restrictions and to loosen them if things get better, but we really don't know if things are going to get better and uh it'll be interesting to see what September brings and you know, we want to be armed with student input, feedback, questions and knowledge so that we can you know, advocate accurately for what students are actually looking for as it as we you know get into September and and deep into sem- September and see how it's all going.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, I mean, we we're sort of. I understand that we're sort of building the plane while we're flying it. Like no <laughs> one knows exactly what COVID is going to look like two months down the road. Yeah. But we did know that life would return to some semblance of normal we did. at some point. Yeah. So. The fact that we're here getting these things out two weeks ahead of classes beginning is definitely a challenge, and it's definitely disappointing that there wasn't a little bit more foresight shown.
1: For sure, yeah. And, I mean, when I saw this announcement, I was... You know, really happy that there was going to be measures in place and that there this was happening. But as you think about it, yeah, these like question marks start to pop up, and there's so many more details that need to be considered. So hopefully, this conversation has given you something to think about, or you know, reminds you of something that still maybe hasn't been considered yet. And if it did, please reach out to us. We'd love to hear from you. Um, but thank you so so much for listening. I'll remind everyone again that um, their episodes are all on cjsw.com. You can listen to them. Go back and listen to the ones from before as well. Uh, Next week at 11 a.m. on Thursday, I'll be interviewing Brad Field, the mayoral candidate. So tune in for that. And if you miss it, you can definitely listen online. Um, But I will be here next week. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Mike. Well, thanks for having
0: me on. I hope I did a decent job following up from Jody.
1: It is much easier talking this through with somebody than to sit here monologuing by myself. So I really, really appreciate it. Um, The music selections today I had first was T-Shirt from The Beaches and their album Late Show. After that was Daydream from Jane's Party. And to close the show, I'll play uh, Follow Your Fire from Codaline and their album Politics of Living. Have a great day, everyone.
3: When we were 17, drinking, kissing in the street, we couldn't get enough. I see you laying there with me, like my missing puzzle piece. Dreaming of what we could be, I couldn't make you up. We had the songs that we sang along to. You had the moves to make me dance with you. I always saw you reaching and catching stars. We had the thing that everyone wanted Hung on your sleeve, you wore your heart on it Did you get out? I'm In Phoenix Park We couldn't get enough